What's going on, guys? And welcome back to the First in Tech podcast. I'm your host, technician sports editor Camden Spate. I'm assistant sports editor Jake Cacavaro. And I'm staff writer Tristan Tucker. Back from the new year, uh, a kind of a long extended break from podcasting. I think it's been like almost six weeks since we've recorded some podcasts, but definitely going to get back into it to start 2020. This will be the the basketball podcast here. We're going to talk men's and women's basketball, and we're going to start with men's basketball because, Jake, you and I went up to Virginia, up to Charlottesville um, just last night as we're recording this, and um, it, it was quite a drive and, and quite an interesting game that we experienced. NC State came away with a 53-51 win. I'm not sure that the team really should have. It was... It was really interesting getting up by 11, and then all of a sudden we don't score for like 15 minutes or something insane. And then the the ending was pretty crazy. But what are, what are your first takeaways from this, Jake? Yeah, I mean, my first takeaway is this was not a game NC State wins in nope. years past. Like when NC State goes on the road and is able to get a big lead and then all of a sudden goes 10 minutes without scoring and surrenders a 15-0 run to lose the lead on the road – you just uh, NC, NC State teams don't win those games, and yet they won it. Jericho Hellams hit that corner three to take the lead, or hit the corner three to bring it within one. Then Markel Johnson hit the three to take the lead, and they led the rest of the game. The last, I think, it was two minutes or so. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, it was just, it, it was an ugly game, 53-51. I mean, the over-under was set at 118, and it was comfortably under that. Well under that. Um, I thought just first, I thought at first, <laughs> I was like, if I were to pick anything, it'd probably be over. Not even no, close. <laughs> not even close. But I just, I think, I mean, I think the big story is just how good NC State's defense was. I mean, Virginia, not a good offensive team by any stretch of, like, a very bad offensive team. But even so, I mean, no one on Virginia really, the, the most points anyone scored was 10. And that was Kihei Clark. Um, and that was because he got to the free throw line four times. Yeah. Um, they, they held Mamadi Diakite. He only made two shots. Funderburg yeah. was awesome on him before he fouled out. And, Helms was chasing him all around when he wasn't in the paint. Um, Braxton Key was three for eleven, and that's someone who, when he's not scoring, they really have nothing because it's Diakite and Key, and that's it. Because Key Clark doesn't lead the team in scoring ever. <laughs> um, but I just thought the defense was excellent, especially playing shorthanded without Manny Bates. Yep. I mean, this is just I. This is not a game NC State wins, and yet they won three games. I think three wins in a row now. Might be four. Three in, three in a row, row now, yeah. Virginia and, Tech loss, and then three in a row, Miami, yeah. Clemson, and Virginia. They're building momentum. They've got Georgia Tech coming up, then UNC. But I think this one was huge in really kick-starting kind of the stretch run of the ACC. It's really interesting that they are playing so well, and they played so well, and were able to keep that lead, especially considering the fact that they ran a seven-man rotation. Yeah. The injuries are really ridiculous to and, this team. And even the seventh man, Danny Dixon, played 15 minutes but only ended up getting that much because Funderburg fouled out with over six minutes yeah, left. Like it, they were running mostly six all game against the defending national champions. What did you guys think about the whole Funderburg? Because the double tech um, turns out Funderburg pulled the guy's thumb, which he, I think he said in the press conference it was he was healing from a broken thumb, yeah. and then the guy pushed him. Both got a tech, and then I think it was the very next possession Funderburg got another foul and fouled out like seven minutes left. So I. I'm okay with the double text because, I mean, you can't yank on a guy's – you can't the, – the play was dead, too. It, it was right before an inbound. Thunderbird right. just walked yeah. by, yanked the guy's thumb. You can't do that. And the guy pushed him back, 
can't retaliate either. Yeah. I'm okay with the double text. That fifth foul on Funderburk, though, was incredibly soft, especially because the entire game, um, for anyone that was watching, Virginia hedged every single screen. Like There were probably at least 30 times where they hedged the screen, and it was almost always Jay Huff. And he almost always made contact, too. Like yes, it, all, There, there could have been a lot of blocking fouls. And I was okay with them not calling it because they were letting them play. But then you call Funderburk because he grazes. I can't, can't remember the ball hand. It might have been Braxton Key. I can't remember who had the ball. But he had been switched onto him. And he just grazes his elbow, I think it was. And they called a fifth foul, foul him out. That that I had a huge problem with because they were letting him play for most of the night. And then you call a ticky-tack foul like that at... That that was, and I thought NC State was going to lose when that happened. Absolutely, and I just I don't know. I, I thought there was no way NC State come back from that because the eleven point lead was gone. Yeah, I yeah. mean it was practically I, I I think a tie game basically when that happened. Where Thunderbird least... fouled out, they were down one, and okay, then Virginia yeah. scored four more points to finish off to go up three and finish off the right. 15-0 run. Thunderbird and Bates both lead the team in offensive and uh, offensive rating and net rating. So I mean it's really impressive to me that they were able to maintain that. I think that's the most impressive yeah. thing here is that they were able to hold that lead with those players being out. Um, but I think those calls are being made against us because um, the team is fouling a lot now. Um, a lot of fouls. 60 yeah. fouls in its last three games. Yeah, it's not a recipe for success. Um, and I believe we were having multiple games. I think seven players in the last three games are sitting at four fouls. We've only had one player foul out, and that was Funderburg, but... The fact that uh, seven players are sitting at yeah. four. The, the Clemson game was pretty ridiculous. I think yeah. There were, like, it felt like everybody in the stadium, mm-hmm. including the fans, were in foul trouble. So. Yeah. <laughs> what, like four players were at four? Or five? Something like that. I, yeah. It was insane. That, yeah. One thing I will say is I think he's improved a lot, Jericho Helms, but, man, he has some dumb fouls sometimes. Like yeah. he, he, he is a huge proponent of a lot of times when there's a fast break layup, You'll commit a hard a hard foul to make the guy earn at the free throw line instead of getting easy look at the ba- at the bucket at the basket. But what Helms does is he just kind of swipes them and lets them convert the layup and still get the free throw on the end one. Like he he has yeah. some some very head scratching fouls sometimes, and it, it especially when they're playing shorthanded, they can't afford to lose anyone, much less mm-hmm. probably their only versatile forward. Like Hel- Helms, is their only forward on the roster who can kind of do a little bit of everything and guard for the most part, one through five, and they, they can't afford to have him with getting in foul trouble for no reason. And speaking of the head-scratching fouls, toward the end of the game, NC State was going to the free-throw line two two times in a row, had one-and-ones and missed the front iron. I think it was Braxton was one? Bryce and then Bryce, Markel. Okay, okay, Bryce and then Markel. Um, and in that sequence, I think it was Devin Daniels who committed a foul up by up by five and they went to the free throw line got two points easily with 27 seconds left and without even letting them like come down the floor they haven't inbounded it yet so virginia got two free points basically without doing anything and it was a three-point game and all of a sudden i think some some people were really starting to hold their breath about whether nc state was going to blow it or not but you just can't do that in that situation and most importantly you have to make free throws yeah Again, especially against Virginia, where you're not going to score much, mm-hmm. you have to make free throws. And at the end of the game, NC State did not do that at all. Nope. Six players on NC State's roster average two fouls or more a game, which yeah. is very and, telling. And the next two, uh, seven and eight, uh, are at 1.8 and 1.6, so nearly two. Just about. It's nearly every person that's getting yeah. minutes. It is every person that's getting meaning, meaningful minutes is fouling. And that C.J. Bryce foul with, with the 26 seconds left on the inbound, that's just... If you just 
don't so there's only 26 seconds left and you're up five it the, the game should be or were they up they were up three at that time right because yeah was it three yeah or five? i think they were up they were up three okay because virginia went down and made the two free throws and made a one point game again okay, yeah that's but right. what you can't because even because they had to inbound from the baseline so right. it wasn't a out of uh, um, sideline out of bounds inbound and if you just don't foul it's going to take about five seconds just to get up the court anyways at least so y- you need at that time you're you're pretty much playing the clock yeah so make them waste time you can't don't risk fouling because you're not going to steal that inbounds pass most no. likely not against virginia who doesn't turn the ball over very often it's just that it they have a tendency the team to commit some some kind of befuddling turnover or foul sometimes and so far, they've done a good job of weathering it and still winning games, like against Clemson, against Virginia. But if they want to beat a Duke or Florida State or Louisville, if they want to get an upset win, a tournament yeah. resume win, they they can't have they can't be in foul trouble at all. It's just that mm-hmm. you can't beat a better team while you're in foul trouble. And it, it used to not be so much of an issue when we were scoring 80 points plus a game, but our scoring production has been a lot less in the last two games. I think we're at. 113 total points in the last two games, something like that. I mean, we're hovering around 60 or 50 the last two games, and hopefully that's not a trend because then you do have to weather these kinds of games, and you have to completely adapt your play style. And um, the game against Virginia, I mean, was was really impressive in that regard, um, being able to adapt to how many fouls every player had, and especially with Funderburk being out. But that hopefully is not a trend going forward. Yeah, what I was kind of impressed with was while NC State was building that lead, the, the team was able to get out and transition. I think there was a series where in three possessions they had two transition or, you know, breakaway layups. Yeah. And when you're able to do that against Virginia, like, that's huge. It, you know, you're not going to get many possessions. They're not going to turn the ball over. They're going to play it really slow. And to be able to get any transition points at all, I think at one point they had 10. I don't know at what point in the game that was, but, I mean, even 10 for the game is probably good against Virginia. So I was, I was pretty impressed with that to be able to really force Virginia to – to speed it up at least, um, you know, on one side of the court. But, you know, overall, NC State played really well for about 30 minutes of the game. And the other 10, it was really, really bad. It, they could not buy a bucket for no. And it, it, I'll be honest, it didn't feel, I don't know about you, for you, Camden, but it, during during the game, it didn't feel like 10 minutes. Like, just because Virginia hadn't been scoring as much up to that point, so I was kind of used to, at least throughout the game, one team not being able to score. But... Once they finally made the bucket, and I think it was the Helms three that ended the run, when we when I looked back at the play-by-play and saw that it had been 10 minutes and 13 seconds, I was like, wow. Like, that's, that's I mean, that's over a quarter of the game yeah. without even yeah. scoring a single bucket, like not even getting to the free throw line. That that was an issue um, and one that they're, they're lucky to have gotten out of, but I do think it says a lot about the makeup of the team, and it's a veteran-heavy team that – you can go. You can get outscored fifteen nothing. Go ten minutes without scoring, mm-hmm. and just buckle right up. Hit back to back three pointers to take the lead. Buckle up down the stretch and win on the road against the defending national champions. Champions. I, I think this team is mentally different from NC State teams of years past. Yeah, looking ahead, and I kind of want to transition to the next couple games, but NC State. I think it, they've only had all of their you know main pieces on the team for like two of the eight ACC games. The, the injuries yeah. have really hurt, and man, if you know losing that game against Virginia, if if that is what would have happened, then you know Manny Bates would have been like 
okay, like if Manny Bates was there, NC State probably wins this game. If Pat Andre's there, we NC State probably wins that game. Mm-hmm. And you kind of can look at some of the other losses and be like, well, you know, we're missing these players against Georgia Tech, for instance, which is NC State's next game, which was the uh, the season opener. You don't have Mark Allen, you don't have DJ, and you lose by one point. In overtime, too. Yeah, or yeah. double overtime, I think. Was it? Um, I think it was just... It might have been just single overtime, but the fact that, yeah, like they still took... and. Georgia Tech's a pretty good team this year. A lot better than people yeah. thought. And, I mean, it, I think it's pretty easy to say you have DJ and Markell in that game. You win that game, so you're 6-2 and two in the ACC. Um, then, yeah, that loss um, against Clemson, 11-point loss. It was close most of the game. I'd say it's probably around a 5- or 6-point game most of the game. Right. You don't have C.J. Bryce, who's your leading scorer. Yep. Your best all-around player, I would say, mm-hmm. um, so far this season. If you win, if you have CJ Bryce for that and you win that game, you're looking at seven and one in the conference. Like it, they've been there in every game. The Virginia Tech game, they just got soundly beat on the road. That it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like the, the injuries have just been it, it's kind of I don't unfair is not the right word, but like they, they've got a good team and Keats really likes the team that he has, but he's yeah. just not really been able to use everyone at mm-hmm. once. And you got to think if they can get if. Pat Andre, they said it was an ankle injury, right? I think so, yeah. yeah. If, if that can heal up, and Keith said he's injured his ankle a lot before, right. so they're definitely going to be cautious with that. But mm-hmm. if Manny Bates can pass concussion protocol, Pat Andre can come back eventually, and you get them down the stretch run, I mean, they, they can compete with everyone, especially in a down year for the top of the ACC. Yeah. Yeah, do you think either of those players have a chance of playing against Georgia Tech? I don't think either will play, because I think, I, I definitely, I think Pat Andre is going to be out for an extended period of time. Yeah. But I think they'd rather have bring Manny Bates back for Carolina. Yeah, that's that's the smart move, I think. Yeah, I don't think there's any reason to bring him back any sooner, especially because I think that NC State can beat Georgia Tech without those two players. I mean, you lose to them in the season opener. They've overperformed, I think, the, to most people's expect, expectations this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know exactly what their record is, but they've, they've come away with some pretty good wins. So it's in Atlanta. I think that'll be a pretty good game. I do think NC State wins that one and gets some momentum, you know, coming back home to face a UNC team that NC State should beat this year. And this is a vengeful pack team. I mean, we we lost to Clemson the first time, and then they came back and won the second time. So I, I could definitely see that happening again. Yeah. Um, going back for a second, I was just curious, how did Diakite look? You mentioned it a little bit earlier. But in the Virginia game, how did he look? He was matched up with Funderburk, right? So basically what they were doing is they were switching everything all game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Keats was saying that. But Helms was really following him around the court. Mm-hmm. But every time he would kind of try and post up, they would purposely, they would make a conscious effort to switch Funderburk back onto him. Yeah. And they did a really good job of just, A, denying him the ball, and B, denying him shots. So mm-hmm. if he would get a post up on Helms or on Funderburk, a lot of times whether it was C.J., Bryce, or Markel Johnson, or Beverly, would kind of come over and not quite double-team, but just kind of show an extra body there and kind of force him to pass out. Mm-hmm. It, it looked like the game plan going in, and no one asked Keats about this after the game specifically, but it seemed like the game plan going in was to not let Diakite beat you and let someone yeah. like Jay Huff or Kihei Clark have to score to win, and they did a good job. I mean, Diakite only took five shots the whole game and I think it, one of those buckets was a three from the corner yeah an open three too just yeah. a, kind of a breakdown on defense right. I think it's really telling um this team's ability to stop a star player someone that's an NBA talent and I think that'll be really telling for their abilities going forward yeah I, I thought it was a great game plan overall because I think the switching was pretty good and, and making sure that 
Um, I think especially at the end of the game, Keats was saying that we were switching everything because they didn't mm-hmm. they didn't want um, Virginia to have any open shot, whether yeah. it was just on a ball screen, just like a split second that they were open. So switching everything, and um, I just I feel like they did a really good job on defense, Jake. Like you said earlier, the defensive performance was really good. Yeah, and the defense. This is the second game in a row, too, that the defense is really third game in a row. Honestly, I would say that the defense is really clicked. And I don't think it's a coincidence that that coincides with C.J. Bryce's return. I mean, he yep. is he is their best player, in my opinion. I've thought that pretty much the whole season. Their last three games, they let up 63 to Miami, then 54 and 51 to Clemson and Virginia. I mean, they're they're not letting up easy buckets. Um, they're not they're not letting up open shots in general. So they're they're kind of making sure you're not getting any layups, and they're closing out well on the three point line, which is huge, which is something they weren't doing earlier in the season. Well, and I just think that I think having CJ Bryce back means everyone can do their job. So you don't, no one's having to kind of step up in CJ's role or anything like that. And it allows everyone, and especially now with Manny Bates out, it's a little different. But if you look back at the Clemson game, that was the first time Keats has started Funderburk, and it was Funderburk and Bates together. Yeah. And when that's there, it you're definitely conceding some offense a little bit. But that defense, you're you're not going to let up points in the paint and 100%. when you've got long guard like a long guard like cj bryce and a long wing like helms yep. you can close out on the three-point line and if even if you crack you can kind of bait them into going into the paint and you've got the acc's best shot blocker in manny bates and a very solid not great but a very solid defender in Thunderbark. i mean th- this team the beginning of the season and going into last night they were ranked like 16th in the country in offensive efficiency but i would not be surprised at all going forward if like their identity was a defensive team yeah most definitely. I think I, I definitely want to see more of the Bates and Funderburk combo. I'm really excited about that because, um, interestingly enough, like with Bates being such a great defensive minded center, um, he's one of the, the offense performs the best when he is on the court. It's really interesting to me looking into that. Um, the fact that both of them, despite not being like the greatest offensive players, I mean, Funderburk is better than Bates, but the fact that Bates opens up the floor, and it's no coincidence that the two games that Bates has been out, we've scored, you know, 113 combined points in those yeah. games. It's really interesting to me. Yeah, you look at the next two games, Georgia Tech and North Carolina. I think NC State wins both of those games. And if the team is able to win both of those games, you have momentum going into Louisville at home. Mm-hmm. Hopefully Manny Bates is back. Pat, Pat, I don't know, maybe it depends really how how severely that ankle hurts. Um, but I, I really think that with the momentum, NC State has a chance to kind of give it a game to, to Louisville, who's obviously a really good team before hitting the road for, for I think it's three straight on the road, yeah, against yeah. Miami, Syracuse, and Boston College. The the fact that they closed out so well against Iquita makes me really excited for how they're going to perform against Jordan Ora yeah. and then going forward like Devin Vassell and Kerry Blackshear. Um, Florida State has more star power all around, but um, especially in the game against Louisville, since it's a home game, if you can close out on Nuora, I mean, they obviously have other offensive talents, but it'll be really interesting uh, the way that Keats managed his defense against Virginia, how that'll translate to these games Yeah, that seemingly look insurmountable at the beginning of the year. And my guess would be in that Louisville game, again, not overlooking Georgia Tech or North Carolina at all, but in that Louisville game, I think you would see Helms on Jordan Noir pretty yeah. much the entire game because he is their main, I don't want to say only scoring option, but it the off, everything in the offense flows to him, and yeah. they only have one other player averaging over 10 points per game. Mm-hmm. Um, NC State has, I think, four. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely 
and again, it's easier said than done. If you stop Jordan and Nwora, you can stop Louisville. You don't stop Jordan and Nwora. But if if Hellams can slow him down, you really you try and make the other players beat you. I think you give yourself a great, great chance. I mean, they're they're a really, really good three-point shooting team. And I think that'll be a test because good three-point shooting teams have been NC State's kryptonite. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think that's going to be the biggest issue is can you slow down Ryan McMahon? Can you slow down Louisville shooters? Um, we'll see. I, I, it's going to be tough. Yeah. You look at Memphis and Auburn, both losses, NC to NC State. Um, both those teams are still ranked. Auburn, I think, has now lost two games and dropped a little bit, but still ranked. Memphis still ranked. Beat Wisconsin. Wisconsin has picked up some pretty good wins along the way. I think one of them is Ohio State. And um, so, you know, your losses just don't look that bad right now. You know, Virginia Tech has played really well. Clemson, obviously, the the home and away there we split. So um, not too bad there. Going forward, if this team can stay healthy, I think it has a chance to finish top four, at least five in the ACC. Yeah, I mean, right now they're fourth um, in the ACC, and they don't have a particularly daunting schedule. I mean, you still are, you still have games against Wake Forest, Pitt, Boston College, Miami, like the, Georgia Tech, and North Carolina is in last place in ACC. You still play them twice. There's seven games right now against teams on paper you're better than. Um, you, if you can steal one of the four total games against Duke, Florida State, and Louisville, yep. that you see yourself get about if you can get around seven more ACC wins, you finish. I think it would be about twelve and eight in AC. That should be good for fourth. And I, I, I don't see any reason why they shouldn't be able to finish in the top four, get the double bye, because that'll be huge, getting the double bye. And I think the, right now, if we're talking for March, they only have one loss that the committee would think of as a bad loss, and that's Clemson, um, just because Clemson's really bad this year. Um, and that's not a good loss. But other than that, uh, at Virginia Tech, that, that happens. Like you're, you're not, you're, It's an ACC. You're not going to win every game. At Auburn, close game the entire time. Um, neutral court against Memphis, yeah. uh, who's good. Yeah. It's just home against Georgia Tech without two of your three leading scorers in the first game of the season. Committee, uh, they've said in years past that they put less weight on the beginning of the season than the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like if you just avoid, if you don't lose at home to Pitt or you don't lose at home to Wake Forest to close out the season, I think you've got a ticket to the NCAA tournament. You got, you should get a double buy in the ACC tournament and it's anyone's game from there. The ACC, there's no dominant team. I mean, Florida state's in first place and they're probably the best team in the ACC, but just in college basketball, you could say other than outside of Baylor and Gonzaga, there's no, anyone can beat anyone on any given night. And I think this NC state team with the way they play defense and the way they can shoot can beat anyone. And those four games that you mentioned against Louisville, Duke, twice and florida state three of those are at home exactly yeah. the only one on the road is at duke we have a home and away with duke so th- those three games you know you said steal one i think that's at least possible because three of them are at home you can probably I at least push for a second one at least for one of those times make it close um so i think there's a lot of opportunity there to really get some acc wins and really make a nice resume especially yeah. with duke having just lost two in a row and having that really bad loss at the beginning of the year yeah, i mean they're vulnerable. like you said not putting a lot of stock into the beginning of the season um games but they have also just lost two in a row one of which was to clemson yeah so i think they're definitely vulnerable and the fact that we have one of those games at home is really big 
I wouldn't be surprised if they pushed for a win at Duke. Um, and then I'm interested to see again how they play against Louisville. And then Florida State has a lot of talent. So that's the game I think is a for sure loss. But Yeah, yeah I, I think the true test of this team will be just taking care of business against who you should take yeah, care of business about. Because even sure. there, they have that three-game road stretch against at Miami, Syracuse, and Boston College, all teams that they're better than. Mm-hmm. But it's also, looking at it, they have six days between Miami and Syracuse and then five days between Syracuse and Boston College. So it's not like they're going to be having any short turnarounds on the road. They're going to be well-prepared for all three of those games against teams that they're better than. Again, it, it's always – you should never expect a team to go to win three straight road games in the ACC. Mm-hmm. But if NC State can do that, you do that in between home against Louisville and home against Duke, you're setting yourself up to be kind of in the driver's seat for a double buy in the ACC tournament. And I think that's going to be huge because I, I think this team is a good team, but I think the true test of kind of how – if this team is any different is take care of business – against North Carolina at home. Like, that's your biggest rival, and you're better than them this year. Yep. Take care of business, win that game, compete against Louisville, whatever. I mean, Louisville's the better team, so we'll see. And then on that three-game road stretch, look good. Like, sure, you don't have to go 3-0, and but go 2-1 and and say you lose at Syracuse. Is it a good game? Like, how, how do you look? Do you look prepared coming out of the gates? That's what I want to see. Um, and, and I think this team I think this team can do it. I, I, I truly think once they're back fully healthy – um, I, I think they can beat any team on any given night anywhere. All right, we'll we'll transition away. Definitely going to revisit this team and and definitely the women's team as well, which we're about to talk about. Uh, a lot of excitement for for both teams, and I think the next couple of weeks are going to be very interesting, um, especially for the men's team. I think because uh, talking about the women's team now, I think they should be able to take care of business because. Now host a, a seventeen and one record, six and one in the conference. Yep. Again, the one loss, the first loss coming against North Carolina, this time in Chapel Hill. It that was a tough game because had the lead for a ten point lead at the half and had the lead for most of the uh for most of the game, I guess, but the the third quarter was just abysmal. I think it was like eighteen outscored like eighteen to five or something like that. So a really tough loss on the road, but you come back or you go to um, South Bend, you beat Notre Dame by like 34 points. Destroy them. Demolish. Then you come come home and you beat number 13 Florida State by 17 and then uh, just beat Wake Forest um, at home as well. So kind of took care of business against against Florida State because Florida State is a really good team and NC State, without playing their best ball, looked like they were dominating from you know the entire game and um, – you kind of look at the rest of the ACC schedule, and it's like, well, outside of the Louisville game, which is at home, you know, it, it could. The rest of them, they're they're the better team. They're yeah. the better team in yeah. the rest of the games, and even against Louisville, you could argue that they're the better team. Um, but it just kind of depends on how how they take care of business. But I mean, seventeen and one, you got nothing to complain about right now. And, and playing at Carmichael is really hard. Um, going back to the Chapel Hill loss, yeah. um, being there last year, it's a really high energy arena to be in, and that team plays really hard regardless of their record each year. So, and the fact that's rivalry rivalry game, I think they put a lot more stock into that. So, you know, that's honestly a forgivable loss. And I think you, I think the you see the the AP voters understood that as well i mean they yeah. lost didn't even move in the rankings yeah. um so I, I think you know like anytime you're on the road against your arch rival who is also good yeah. like you're not going to win those games every mm-hmm. time and yeah going back to what camden said they're they're the best team 
in every game but that Louisville game. And I think this point in the season, the case could be made that Louisville and NC State are about on the same level. But that's the only ranked team left that NC State plays is Louisville. I mean, so you're you're looking at realistically, because I think this year they're playing 18 or 20 conference games, just like the men are playing. Um, you or no, they're playing 18. Yeah, like men have in years past. Um, I you're you could realistically see 16 and two or even 17 and one, and it's just it's insane how good. This team is, and if we want to get started on kind of talking about the team, I there's not enough words to describe Elisa Kunain. Yeah. There's just not. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's domination almost every night. I, I think against Wake Forest, she didn't quite put up the numbers that she has in past games, but NC State didn't need it for that game. And just you look at some of the past games and like 20 and 10 like lines like every night, and that's ridiculous. Yeah, and I think what is really making me kind of expect a lot come March is last year she was the only center they had left. When Erica Cassell went down, Mm -hmm. um, Westmore couldn't afford to kind of have Didi Rogers or Kunane on the court at one time. It had to be both of them. Um, And she wore down. She was a freshman going from playing a 20-game high school basketball season where you're probably up by 40 going into every fourth quarter to having to play against the best opponents. And then you saw that in the Sweet 16 against Iowa, she was matched up against the National Player of the Year, Megan Gustafson, and got handled relatively easily. And I think Wes Moore noticed how she kind of wore down because she's not – she definitely gets tired. And you can see that about her. And she's only playing the fifth most minutes on the team so far. She's not even playing – she's averaging 26 minutes Mm -hmm. per game. He's keeping her fresh. He's making sure that she's well-rested. And I think come the middle of March, end of March, and maybe with this team the beginning of April, she's going to be able to go full speed. She's going to be able to play 35 minutes if she wants because she's playing only these 25, 26 minutes against the lesser teams. And I think that's really smart by Wes Moore. I was just about to say the exact same thing. And I think it's wild that she – has played a hundred less minutes than um, the highest player on the team in minutes, uh, Aislinn Koenig, and yet has nearly 110 more points. That's absolutely absurd. She's she, averaging 16.9 points a game and yep. 10.4 rebounds. That's a double-double average. Yep. And one thing that I see all the time is her going to the free throw line. A one, an, an and one, like it feels like every time she makes a layup, she's getting fouled. She mm-hmm. has 94 free throw attempts, highest on the team by far. The next highest is Kayla Jones with 33, and she shoots free throws at a 76% clip. Yeah, and and as a you know being the center on the team, that is awesome. She leads the team in free throw percentage of everyone that plays at least 10 minutes per she game. Nearly is shooting a 60, 50, 80 line. Yeah, it's it's absurd. unheard of how efficient she is, and um. We can we could laud Kunain all we want. Someone who this year has just stepped up beyond comprehension. Who last year, and I've covered this in my third year in Camden U as well, watching this team, um, who didn't barely even played last year and only played because of the injuries. Kayla Jones is averaging ten points per game, second on the team in rebounds, second on the team in assists. She's their secondary playmaker as a forward. Like she, mm-hmm. the the offense a lot of times runs through her down on the high post. Um, I, I just don't think enough can be said about how big a leap she's taken from last year to this year. Last year, she was oftentimes just overwhelmed. I mean, she, she would come in for minutes at a time to kind of uh, relieve Kiara Leslie for a little bit or relieve Dee Dee Rogers for a little bit. 
and it was always and <laughs> Westmore is very uh you can see he doesn't he wear he doesn't wear he wears his emotions on his sleeve on the sideline. You yeah. can see what he's thinking. And last year there was a lot of anger towards Kayla Jones, a lot of quick hooks. And this year he, he she's awesome. She, he trusts her to bring the ball up court sometimes. Um, he trusts her to kind of pass out of the high post to let the offense run through her. He trusts her to shoot threes. Um, I mean she's she's knocked down twenty threes. She's averaging over a three pointer per game. She's shooting almost thirty six percent. She she's just she's really helped unlock that the team's kind of next step from last year to this year. And it, it's, I don't think enough can be said about how well, I mean, two years ago she was playing 3.7 minutes per game. Yeah. And now she's playing almost 28 minutes per game for one of the five to 10 best teams in the country. She's also showing a lot of control as a player. She doesn't really have many fouls or turnovers, yeah. which is really impressive to me. And that's the team itself as, you know, as a whole, yeah, doesn't definitely. have many tur- uh, turnovers or fouls. And that's something that Wes Moore talks about all the time make these the opponent really earn it in the paint do not foul them do not put them at the free throw line and um you know besides a couple of games maybe you know this team is under like seven or eight fouls a game you know and and the turnovers there's been a couple of games especially recently they've been kind of high but for the most part pretty low um another player i think is going to be really crucial you know down the stretch is is kai crutchfield because Toward the beginning of the season, she was like on fire. You know, you look at the Maryland game where she, at the end of the game, she kind of took over and she was making everything. Um, recently, she has not shot the ball well. Westmore kind of attributed that to a thumb injury, had a brace on for a couple of games, just recently got it off. I think she was 0 for 9 um, against Wake Forest, which isn't great, obviously. But to, for this team to really step into, you know, making a deep run in the NCAA tournament and winning the ACC tournament, I think Kai Crutchfield um, is going to have to step up. And obviously we know what Ace is going to bring. We know what she's going to be able to do. But to have another guard that kind of has the same skill set in a way, I think is going to be really important. Yeah, and I think, like you said, with that thumb injury, um, it's bothered her. She's shooting under 33% from the three-point line in the new year. Um, And, yeah, she's going to need – the thing is – they don't have Jakia Brown Turner, five star freshman, has been good, but she's not a division one primary ball handler yet. She's great operating off the ball. I mean, she's hits one to two spot up threes per game. She's great at that. They're gonna need Kai Crutchfield to be able to handle point guard duties because Ace Coney is gonna run into people that guard her well. Like Louisville's gonna be able to guard her. Uh going into the NCAA tournament. The, those top 10 teams, if they get matched up against an Oregon State or a South Carolina in the Sweet 16 or whatever, there's going to be guards who force the ball out of Koenig's hands, and Crutchfield's going to have to step up. And, and I think she will. Like She was shooting over 40% from the three-point line before the thumb injury. I'm not worried about her right now in the slightest. The thumb will heal. Um, one thing that I think is going to kind of come back to bite them in the butt, and it's something they struggled with last year, is depth. So, again, it's it's nitpicking. This team is seventeen and one. Yeah. yeah. But last year, what killed them was a lack of depth, and that was due to injury. This year, I think it's due to Westmore just not really trusting what he's seeing from his bench so far. And so, going into this year, the biggest—I don't want to say disappointment because of the negative connotation that comes with it—but maybe the biggest surprise has been Grace Hunter just barely playing, not really doing anything when she plays. So she was the leading scorer last year before she went down. She was averaging over 14 points per game. She was doing it efficiently. She tears her ACL. It's been 
I think, 13 months, 13 or 14 months. So she's fully healed. She's only playing 16 minutes per game. That number is below 10 in ACC play. She's not – Westmore's not really trusting her. I mean, the last couple of games, Jada Boyd's been playing more than her, um, another five-star freshman. It's just – it's a little bit worrisome how Westmore doesn't go to his bench in close games. And I don't think that's – I don't think you're going to be able to do that once you face one of those other top 10 teams. And that's something that I don't know now we're halfway through the season and that hasn't changed yet. I don't think you can necessarily say that it's going to get better from now on. So I'm curious what you guys think about the lack of depth right now. I wonder if he's going to turn to his bench more so as the season progresses to keep the starters fresh. And then I think we'll get a true test of how the bench actually looks. I think um, even though it has been 13 months since the ACL tear, ACL tear, I think um, every player recovers differently. I think you see that across all sports. Um, ACL tears are not a joke. Um, so I'm interested to see how she plays, um, if she gets more minutes down the stretch. Um, but I, I definitely would trust her and Boyd off the bench. Um, and even um, Hobby has played pretty well. Um, not a lot, but someone that I, I trust as well um, to turn to down the stretch. I think with with Grace Hunter, I think it's it's all about confidence, and it's tough to build that after an injury because you don't know, you don't want to go through that again. Obviously, yeah. you don't know what step is wrong and what's right. So, kind of building that trust in your own leg back up, and I've I've never had an injury like that, so I you know don't know from personal experience, but it seems like there's kind of a period where you kind of have to do more than your brain might think you should do because of the injury. And I feel like Grace Hunter might have a little bit of trouble coming out of that, and that could be part of the struggles a little bit. But, you know, I think she'll she'll turn it around. I think the more she gets into a groove, and obviously you're 18 games in, you want to be in a groove already. But, you know, coming off the bench, you're, you're not able to do that all the time. So I think with her, I think it'll come, and I think it'll come at a really good time when March comes up. Um and, you know, you look at the bench and, and Cassell's played really well. Like we talked about earlier, Boyd has started to play really well. Yeah, she's she's averaging 20 minutes per game the last three games, Jada Boyd. Yeah. And two of the last three, she scored in double figures too. So she's really, I, I think she's starting to gain Westmore's trust in practice For a little sure. bit. And I think I've seen uh, Kayla Ely more than earlier in the season. I'm not sure if that's really... It has, she hasn't been really productive in, in the statistical category. I'm not sure exactly how Westmore just feels about her just kind of bringing the ball up and just kind of being the point. Um, but she has played more, I think, in recent games. She's now played in 12 of the 18 games. So I, I like her as as a ball handler, and I think she's really good at doing that. She has not put up the the numbers that I think a ball handler might do. She does have 21 assists in those games, um, but averaging less than a point and I'm not really expecting her to score a whole lot with the team she's surrounded by, but I, I think overall I've I've been okay with her getting on as many minutes as she has. And th- that's the thing with Kayla Iliad's right? You, she's averaging the fewest points. She's scoring less points per game than Katie Wadsworth, right? Um, yeah. A walk on. And I think the thing with Ely is when she's in, she's in for Koenig or Crutchfield, and those are two of your four leading scorers. So I don't know if Westmore can necessarily justify putting her in for them when if you're going to be subbing someone in for Koning or Crutchfield, you're going to need to be looking for points. You're going to have to be able to score somehow. And putting Kayla Ely in doesn't necessarily solve that. So I think that's why you've kind of seen her minutes 
drop a little bit the last few games is because she is a fine ball handler. She's an ACC caliber ball handler, but she's a little gun shy and she's afraid. She's only attempted 10 shots in 12 games. <laughs> but it, it, it's also you don't want to when you sub in somebody if you if you put somebody at ball handling, then you take them out of position. And then if you take them out of position, then you have to take someone else out of position to fill that. If you do put in a, a point guard, a ball handler, you just have one person who is is there that usually isn't. So you you have her in, she she handles the ball, she brings it up the court, and she just dishes it to everybody else. And I'm I'm okay with that because if you move, you know, somebody else to handle the ball that scores more then all of a sudden you have this domino effect of, you know, all five players are now in a position they don't usually, or they're not usually in. Right. So I, I think I would prefer that instead of, you know, taking someone who scores more and giving them the ball who usually doesn't, because that, that can kind of lead to turnovers and that's something that would kill this team for sure. So I'm, I'm okay with that at this point. I, I obviously they haven't necessarily needed a whole lot of, production from her and you know maybe when the time comes that there's a need then she'll step up yeah and then i just think i mean the the biggest the thing this team is best at and it's a westmore staple is just defense i mean they're only letting up 54 points per game opponents are only shooting 33 percent that's that's incomprehensible that's like that's the average that other teams are shooting against them not just from the three-point line from the field in general that's i I, it's almost hard for me to wrap my head around that. Um, and they're only shooting, other teams only shooting 27% from three against them. And the the biggest thing is they don't do it, they don't rack up a lot of steals. They don't, they don't force a ton of live ball turnovers. They just play really dang good half-court defense. And that's because yep. Aislinn Koenig and Kai Crutchfield can guard any guards in the league. Jakia Brown-Turner can guard pretty much one through three or four. She's pretty tall for a guard. They have her listed as a wing. Um, Kayla Jones can match up with anyone. And Elisa Kunain is a little slow on her feet and can kind of sometimes get exposed by a big center. But the only t- you're going to have to have an All-American center to beat her. And there's no All-American centers outside of her in the ACC. So th- it's you can't score on this team. And even if they're not shooting the ball well, you're they're going to score enough. They're going to score more than you. Like Florida State came into the game averaging almost 80 points per game. Mm-hmm. And NC State held them to 51. I think the highest scoring offense in the ACC at that point, I think. Yeah, was way for it. They're yeah, also getting a lot of offensive boards a game, which I think yeah. is really helpful. It, I mean, even if they're not shooting well, they're going to get their own offensive boards, and they're getting a lot of second-chance points, 220 offensive rebounds for the year. Yeah, that's in there. That's insane how it's it's crazy the, the amount of i think they're averaging almost 10 offensive rebounds per game which yeah. is just wild for um like in women's basketball that's not necessarily you don't see high offensive rebound yeah. numbers and it's crazy and a lot of that is alisa kunane and kayla jones are just monsters on and, the boards and, and boyd too yeah yeah in, yeah in her playing time she uh, yeah she has 32 offensive rebounds and only 16 minutes per game. Like yeah, she, ridiculous. when she's there, she's crashing the boards. And I, and I think that's something that they're really good at for the most part is they follow their shots. So e- e- even if Kai Crutchfield launches a shot, Ace Koenig is coming and they don't necessarily leak out um, that much on defense. They don't try and get back on, they don't cheat on defense because they know that if they just get you in the half court, you're not scoring on them. So it really helps their offensive rebound production and helps their second chance, second chance points. And that's something that they killed Florida State in. And it's just it's it 
can't say enough about how good they are down there on the boards. I mean, they're out-rebounding teams by an average of just about 11 rebounds per game. I don't have the uh, ACC standings pulled up, but the next couple of games, you're at Pitt. Pitt is not good. Pitt is like 3-14. and 14. Their only three wins are like Fairleigh Dickinson, Central Connecticut, and I think Mississippi. So 0-6 in the conference. Even on the road, that should be no problem. Come back home to face North Carolina. No way you lose to them twice. I just don't see it. NC State is the much better team, and you know you've home. learned from the first time. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's kind of the, the only game – I think until you get to Louisville that I would even hesitate about um, this. The only other reason would be because the three in between are on the road. You're at Clemson, you're at Duke, you're at Virginia tech um, in between home games against North Carolina and Louisville. And that's a tough stretch and you don't ever want to be on the road three times in a row. But um, you know, I think this team has shown that it's not going to shy away from, from a big game and it's not going to shy away from, from having these, you know, close games at the half because every time, that even if they don't play well, even if the team is not shooting well, the team wins by like 15 points. And Mm -hmm. they're just, when there's a weakness and in that game, it just seems like the team finds another strength and just pushes it. Like the defense has been, you know, the biggest thing when the shots aren't falling, the rebounding has been good, the defense has been good. So it's a tough stretch on the road, three in a row, and then coming back to face, you know, a top five Louisville team right now. Um, But I, I think that, you could look at a NC State team that's what twenty two and one when it faces off against Louisville yeah, at home. Should be, and and I'll just I'll kind of close with this for myself. The only game that they lost, it took them shooting eighteen percent an entire half to lose, and yep. they still were leading with under four minutes to go. It's 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 hard to beat them. Like they they shot eighteen percent and a half and almost won on the road, and I mean that that's what it takes. To beat them, and that's just not going to happen. It's not that will probably not happen again the rest of the season that they shoot below twenty percent for an entire half. It's just it's hard to to beat this team. That's why I only think they're going to lose one more time the rest of the regular season. I, I think they'll finish with two losses for the whole season. And that that's ridiculous. To yeah, think an NC it's, State basketball team is going to go what is that sixteen and two in the conference and twenty seven like, and two overall. That's insane. Yeah. Back to and, my sixteen and two prediction at yeah, the beginning sure. of the year. Just <laughs> called it. <laughs> And then, and then you hit Greensboro for the ACC tournament, looking really far ahead um, after the play for K game against Duke, and then two more games to close out the season. Greensboro is hosting both the men's and women's ACC tournaments this year, so should be a really fun two weeks for for those of us that'll be going. And then, um, you know, even if even if you lose against Louisville, and even if you f- lose the against Louisville in the tournament, you're still looking at like. A two three seed. Yeah. At, so at worst case scenario, they're getting a three seed right now on um, ESPN's bracketology that came out. I think it was two days ago. Uh, they're sitting at a three seed, but the one seed, one of the one seeds, is Louisville slash ACC champion, which is basically saying that they think whoever wins ACC is going to get that one seed. Mm-hmm. So you win the ACC with uh. So if if NC State won the ACC, odds are their record would be about I think they would be thirty and two. You're not dropping below like you're going to get the no, one seed it's no, going to sure. have i think a one seed uh, i was looking at this day so my numbers might not be totally right on this cause i don't have it up but i think mm, i think it was nine of the last 10 years a one seed has been from the acc and now usually that's been notre dame yeah. or louisville but it's you're, a two loss ac champion even probably a three loss ac champion is getting the number one seed and i i, don't, I see no reason why this team can't win the acc i agree it should it'll be an, a really fun end of the season Especially if if that 
you know, continues and going into that Louisville game, that will be something to watch, especially at home. Reynolds is going to be uh, really loud. And then, I mean, you get to Greensboro, your NC State fans will show up in Greensboro. Oh, yeah. So it, it should be a fun end of the season, really, for both teams. I think there's a lot to to be positive about and a lot a lot to look forward to. And uh, both teams could end up, you know, in the tournament. The, the women's team definitely really high in the oh, tournament. Yeah. So I think that's all we got for you guys today. Thank you for tuning in to a, a little bit of a longer episode of First in Tech to really – recap what's been going on for both nc state basketball teams but definitely going to keep doing a basketball episode hopefully every week along with um you know the olympic sport podcast every other week or every third week so we'll see we'll see how the scheduling works out with that but thank you guys for listening again i'm your host technician sports editor camden spate i'm assistant sports editor jake kakavara and i'm staff writer tristan tucker and we'll see you guys next week